Attention listeners across the galaxy, all the way from Australia to Houston. Do we have a pube problem? If so, our friends at Manscaped have cleared you for takeoff with their fourth generation and brand new lawnmower 4.0. Kick your pubes to the next planet with the Performance Package 4.0. The orbits in your pants will feel like you're in zero gravity when you use the best tools for the job from the leaders in male grooming. Join the 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped and get your rocket ready for takeoff by going to manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping with the code MANAGINGMADRID. Hey, Om, who did not Manscaped today? It was Real Madrid TV, unfortunately, geo-blocking the game for the men's game. So people who didn't have ESPN were left scrambling for streams. And then also, you know, Prior to this preseason friendly round, Femio played on the same day, geo blocking those, but then not even being able to broadcast the friendly itself because, you know, they didn't do their work to acquire the rights properly to broadcast it. And eventually we had to find a bootleg stream that was freezing every 20 seconds and would pause if you moved a different tab. So you'd end up being six minutes behind eventually. Yeah, it wasn't a great day for, for Real Madrid TV, and they were all out of sorts. Had they manscaped, I'm sure this wouldn't have happened. They would have been able to sort it all out and everyone would have been able to watch the teams they wanted to watch. And those who were able to watch the game did get to see a Manscaped man of the match from debutante David Alaba, who literally came in first game for Real Madrid in his in his home native land of Austria and just completely bossed it, uh, shouting out orders, last-ditch tackles in the first minute of the game. Uh, amazing run-ups, a shot from outside the box. Like it, He had it all in this game. We're looking forward to David Alaba having a great season, and he definitely used his Manscaped tools. Listeners, get 20% off and free shipping with the code MANAGINGMADRID at manscaped.com. That's 20% off plus free shipping with the code MANAGINGMADRID at manscaped.com. For a clean trinity and beyond, your space balls will thank you. This episode is also brought to you by Rio Plaza New York Times Square Hotel, which is where you should be booking your stay when you come to the Managing Madrid podcast in New York. Obviously, New York is one of our stops as part of the Managing Madrid podcast world tour. We are coming there the December 4th weekend. Book your spot at the podcast and also book your stay at Rio Plaza New York Times Square Hotel. It is awesome. We stayed there last time. It is literally across the street from the podcast venue, which is the Playwright Irish Pub up on the second floor there. Um, It is situated in Manhattan in the renowned Restaurant Row, surrounded by Broadway's most famous theaters. It's a few steps from the iconic Times Square, which is known throughout the world as the symbol of New York, characterized by its entertainment and illuminated advertising displays. And Ryu Hotel New York Times Square Hotel is awarded gold certification for the Travel Life Sustainability System. Um, Book your stay there, riu.com. And... Also, just finalized the time and date for the Los Angeles podcast. Toronto is going to be confirmed this week. Also, the venue for LA will be con- confirmed this week. And um, yeah, just basically every day we're, we're finalizing a little bit more of the details of the podcast world tour. So uh, if you hear any of these cities that I'm about to mention, Los Angeles, Toronto, Dallas, New York, Miami, London, UK, Washington, D.C., Chicago, and Mumbai. Those cities are already announced. Just go to the show notes, book your spot, click on the link, and let us know if you have any issues. We're there to help you out. And without further ado, here is the Managing Madrid final 
preseason postgame podcast before the real stuff starts next week. Let's go. Nice article in the Managing Madrid uh, blog. They're wonderful lads that do a great job there. And worth reading about that man there. Benzema needs to rest and the numbers reveal why. Hello and welcome to a late Sunday night edition of the Managing Widget Podcast. We are here for yet another post-game show, two weeks in between um, the Rangers game, where we overreacted and now we can overreact more, but maybe kind of at least grasp to some things, because this was the last preseason game uh, before the season starts. I know it's not normal for us through Real Madrid history to only have two preseason games, although I guess it depends on if you you know how much you want to count those ones behind closed doors that no one really saw. Um, two preseason games, and bang, the next game is against Alaves on Saturday, uh, on August 14th. That's when it all starts. That's when the campaign all starts. So um, tonight we're going to talk about AC Milan. Nil-nil uh, draw. Another game where Real Madrid didn't score or had trouble even generating many opportunities. But at least this one was a little bit fun, particularly in the first half. So um, we'll try our best to drag as much as we can out of it. Uh, Om Arvin and Matt Wiltsey are both here to join me, Keon Sabani, for this podcast. And Om Arvin has promised that there's not much to talk about in this game, but I'm skeptical uh, if he's going to hold to his word. So, Om, I know that you really feel like we can't extract too much out of this, but um, do you... Do we can we trust you? Do you really feel that way? We'll see. I mean, like famous last words and all that, but you know, part of it is the is some is because the game coincided a little bit with the Rounder Feminino game, and like so, the second half we could sort of watch of the, of the Rounder Feminino game, and so I like had that on with the first half of this game, and apparently the first half of this game was a more interesting one. So the only time like I really clocked in was the second half when it. Looked like just began to drag on a little bit so that definitely affects the amount of talking points i have but ultimately in preseason i I rarely have like that much decisive to say because it's preseason and we have a lot of sample size now that it doesn't really matter that much and what does matter is if it represents trends that have been happening for a long time right i mean in this case i think there are probably like a couple things you can take away as there always is but anything like super detailed like you know at least not for me. I, I know Matt was really into this one. He had he was firing off the tweets. So if anyone's gonna wring something from this, it's him. Yeah, you guys are uh, giving me shit for analyzing this game, but I think honestly, especially the last game of the preseason, I think you can take a fair amount from, especially just at least the way the coach is thinking. And usually that last preseason game is the one where you're trying to get. You're starting 11 sorted out for the first game, trying to get those guys that are going to play the most minutes, as, as much minutes as possible. Um, and so I think I think there is stuff to read into. And, and just from, like, it's just interesting to see Bale back. It's interesting to see Brahim playing against Real Madrid. Interesting to see Jovic and how he played. Um, I think, obviously, there's some things with Isco and how he played and being back in some of the best shape we've ever seen him in. And so I definitely think there's things we're talking about. And um, 
Ohm, obviously, if you came in just most for the second half, then yeah, I don't blame you for having nothing to say because the second half was uh, pretty terrible and there, was, there wasn't much to, to note from that. But the first half, I have quite a bit. And I mean, literally the game right from the get-go, Jovic nearly wins the ball from uh, the AC Milan goalkeeper from pressuring high and creates a goal-scoring opportunity. And it was like the first three minutes, Teo hits the post and like Brahim pit pockets Modric. There was just a ton going on. Alaba had a last-minute tackle, so um, yeah, I mean there there was some fun stuff, and I think Alaba another storyline. Like it was his first game, interesting to see how he played, and I thought he was just fantastic. Like I really loved what I saw from Alaba, and he just looks like he fits hand and glove into this team. Yeah, I mean, um, I remember. Do you remember last preseason where? It kind of messed with our heads a little bit because out of nowhere, Zidane played three straight preseason games with three at the back. Um, and then we never saw that again. And we were all really confused. Like, okay, what is he training for? Like, why is, you know, obviously this must be a thing we're going to start the season with because he's really adamant on pushing this in the preseason to see what it looks like. Then we never saw it again. Um, and this one, this preseason was unique, though, in the sense. And by the way, I guess I meant two preseasons ago, right? Not not the one last year. Um the timeline kind of messing with me, but this this game was a little bit of an exception, or this preseason was a bit of an exception because we really didn't have much time to prepare or train, or you know. And usually preseason is about getting Castilla players some burn, getting a bunch of players integrated again, get the fitness levels up. Today felt like a little bit like okay, let's try to get our best players on the field and get them minutes as much as possible because the Alavez game we're gonna have. Next week, we have to have our best starting lineup on the pitch of available players. So, um, with the way, you know, the players that we were welcoming back today, um, many of the international players who weren't available at, uh, against the, against Rangers two weeks ago. So, David Alba made his debut today. We had um, the Brazilians return, Modric returns, Gareth Bale Nice to see. I, I won't lie. It was kind of cool seeing him. A little bit weird, but kind of cool seeing him in the in a Real Madrid shirt again. And I thought he was pretty decent. Um, the penalty was was terrible. And kind of like one of the... Remember, was it the Turkey game? Wales-Turkey in the Euros where he played a really good game and also had a chance to cap the performance with a penalty, but he missed the penalty too. Shades of that. Uh, something about like the way he strikes the ball is just not as nearly as good as the way it used to be. But... Um, Isco, surprising 80 minutes. Uh, I saw some noise about people saying maybe we're showcasing him to a team like Milan. Show him that, show everyone that he can play 80 minutes or so and he's still valuable. Um, I'm skeptical at this point. I think he's, you know, I think this was probably a premonition that he's going to be part of the team. So there was a lot of interesting things that, you know, we have to discuss today, obviously. So, um, Matt, why don't we start with you? Because, you know, you alluded to, I think it was the second minute where Jovic wins the ball for Real Madrid Press. Um, and it was goalkeeper Magnan who, bad giveaway. And I think someone should have cracked a shot in that sequence, but they just weren't able to. But I saw a lot of interesting things. Uh, I really liked Rodrigo's performance. I thought he, he was playing with a certain bounce. Um, so what did you see in the opening few minutes that, that caught your eye? Um, well, I was I was keeping an eye on kind of some of those names you mentioned. I wanted to see how Bale reintegrated with the team. Uh, obviously, I always keep my eye on Jovic to keep that glimmer of hope to see if he can rekindle any type of form with Real Madrid. Um, Brahim on the other side of the pitch. 
Casemiro Modric now back. So there's plenty, Alaba, there's plenty to look at. And I thought uh, maybe I'll start with Jovic and you guys can chip in as well. I thought <clears throat> I saw some criticism for him, which surprised me because I thought like in terms of a Jovic performance, this is had been one of his most encouraging in a Real Madrid shirt. And I thought he did a tremendous job in uh, blocking the passing lanes to Tenali. So we defended pretty high up the pitch and we almost played like a uh an organized like high block like we had five five of our um, attackers and midfielders kind of in a line blocking the passing lanes for Milan's build up and Jovic I thought did a really good job of just sticking to Tonali and not letting him get on the ball or or letting Milan build up at all and then um he just had some really nice touches in tight areas, switched the field of play, like showed some of the skill set that he hasn't always been able to show while Real Madrid just because he doesn't get the ball. And so today I thought he was more involved. Um, Marcelo and Bale each hit crosses to him at the back post, which he battled with Teo on. And I, I mean, I, I liked it. Obviously, he had that right at the end of the first half, that beautiful turn and then threw ball to Bale. And Bale did well to take a, a nice touch. And then just he shades of old Bale there, like really showed his pace and um, did well to earn the penalty. Obviously, the penalty was very, very poorly taken, as you mentioned. But for me, I thought it was it was encouraging from Jovic. And I think he he did some things to connect the play with midfield and kind of be that pivot that we work off of um, as a forward. Like you can't ask for much more. I think people are so used to how involved Kareem Benzema gets and how integral he is to the side that uh, maybe they take for granted like a different type of forward. And you look at Giroud on the other side, like he literally had to work on scraps and it, it was similar to what Jovic usually has to deal with just because he didn't have any anything to work with. And we really shut down that that final third. Jovic yeah, is so an Jovic underrated was... link-up player. I, you know, sorry, Alma, just... I thought I thought I agree with you, man. I actually liked his performance. I, I like the way he dropped deep. There was one where he drops all the way to our third, wins the ball, turns his man, sprints yep. back up the field um, as an outlet. And there were there were a few moments like that scattered in this game where I thought it was encouraging. I, he does need to eventually get on the scoring sheet if he's going to stay, and he needs to score a lot more. Um, but yeah. his off ball movement has been encouraging to me. Yeah, so Jovic was one of the few points I had, I guess, because it was kind of obvious in the first half where, like, when you're flitting between two screens, he was doing enough that it just kind of stands out to you. And I think we, like, really get stuck into, like, this dichotomous discussion between types of strikers, right? Like, and I just feel there's just so much diversity. It's like either you have, like, the false nine who's dropping off all the time or the pure penalty box predator and Jovic doesn't really fit either mold. And I, I feel like that's where the conversation gets so confused about him. Because, yeah, if you just kind of put him in, like, this massively fluid offensive system, like super flat midfield, and you need someone like Benzema to drop off and just constantly solve all sorts of problems all over the pitch, Jovic is going to look kind of lost there. But if, it's a, if his role is more focused, right, and he's not having to do all these random things that Benzema has to do, dropping off and playing these quick layoffs, right? And occasionally maybe having to drop off further and do stuff as long as that's just occasionally, right? Like that's his bread and butter. At Frankfurt, that was what he was doing all the time. It was an important part 
of their progression. When I say Frankfurt, I mean his first stint. Like it was an important part of their progression was finding Jovic between the lines, him playing quick layoffs. And then that's what often ended up facilitating his goals, right? Again, like when we think about goal scorers, we just shoehorn all of them into like this Ronaldo, you know, prototype where they just have this like ridiculous box movement, getting onto crosses all the time. Jovic a lot more subtle, right? Like he creates space for himself in the box by using transition, slowing down, waiting for defenders to go away from him. Jovic is like in this space where he's really not an easily like kind of like characterizable striker, at least in the common discourse. And I feel like, you know, we've watched him, you know, enough. We've had him on our books long enough. And it still feels like we, we have like the same wrong discussion about him every time. And it's it's like this is why we can't really understand the type of player. So, yeah, I mean. I mean, that's the most I had to add to it. And oh, Matt, dis- Matt yeah, described the game he had pretty well. Sorry to interject, but, like, thank you, Ohm. Thank you, because literally I, you you just said it very eloquent, eloquently, and I was just so frustrated with some of the people in my mentions because it's they're telling me, oh, Jovic is just a poacher. like so, And, no, he is so much more than that, and anybody who's watched more than just a handful of his substitute minutes at Real Madrid recognizes that. And I watched him very, very closely last year on loan, second half of the season at Frankfurt. And that ball he played through to Gareth Bale is something he did so often. He would mm. drop in the midfield, turn, and play these unbelievable passes. And you're like, wow, Jovic is like a playmaker. And this is not something that's foreign to his game. Like, this is very much a part of his game. And as Keon said, like, his link-up play and his ability to just do those one-touch layoffs and then move off the ball immediately after that is Jovic, and people who just call him a poacher, is ap- it's absolutely wrong, and it drives me crazy. Um, that was a great pass to Bale. Also a great turn from Bale, and who I thought had a nice game. But before we get to Bale, I thought uh, we should talk about Isco. I think um, I was actually, like, I, I saw mixed reaction to his performance on the ball, like, you know, and offensively in his passing and stuff. I thought I thought offensively he was okay. I thought there were several sequences, particularly in the, in the first half, where he just dribbles into trouble when an easier play would suffice. I was actually impressed by his defense today. Um, really good, and and this maybe is a testament to his fitness levels, which which look good too. Um, he was quick to to sprint back into our into our half and actually had two really good um, interventions defensively to stop counterattacks. Um, and was tracking runners into the box. So I, I, I like that aspect of his game. I think his decision-making offensively still needs some work. I think he, he forces a pass in transition and um, and also just, again, dribbles into trouble. And even when he kind of would get past his man, it was due to a lucky bounce. Had a really, really beautiful pass to Jovic in the box in the second half of the 49th minute. Um, I'm definitely surprised, definitely in the camp, the surprise is that he played 80 minutes. Um, I do think, again, I, I've never really seen preseason be a premonition of what it, what the regular season is. I do agree with Matt's point that this is this could be an exception to the rule just because it's the last game before the season starts. Um, again, I don't I don't know exactly how much to read into it. 80 minutes was interesting that he played that much. Um, so what did you what did you guys think of Esau's performance? I thought he was good. I thought he was really good. Um, I mean, I'm just, 
honestly just very impressed with the shape he's come back in. Like this is the fittest we've seen Isco in a very long time. Uh, so that's that's encouraging. And you could see it in his work rate off the ball. He worked really hard. Um, I thought he had a couple good battles with Brahim, actually, and just in that center of the park. He dropped pretty deep, and he and Muldrich would um, interchange sides and um, really roam quite a bit in that in that midfield looking for, for open spots to receive the ball. And I just I thought he was really good. I thought he was one of our better players, and um, I think he had some nice through balls in the final third, like you mentioned, Kiana. I mean, it was encouraging. I don't know. I mean... It looks like Ancelotti, given the preseason so far, I mean, it looks like Ancelotti's counting on him and really, really likes him. I don't have a, a ton more to add to that, just that I think that Isco will be a rather relevant player for us this season, for better or for worse. But I, I just think, like, there's a quality player still there, and I don't know if there's, like, a logical, you know, counter to that in the sense that I just think the Isco we've seen the past couple of seasons is one and where, like, he's not really been ready to kind of give it his all, right? Like, if 18, 19, you know, minimized heavily by Solari, him and Solari had, like, their own dispute, and then kind of since then, just getting progressively less motivated, not being, you know, as eager to fight for his place in the squad, probably feeling that, you know, look at what I showed, you know, 16, 17, 17, 18, right? I should have that type of place. And especially the last season was just an ISCO where we felt like is an irrelevant factor, and the fact that he's coming fit, right like for the first time in a while and you know he put in like a solid preseason performance and such like I I don't think we're going to get the peak version of Isco like I don't think you just like kill a couple seasons like that and you know it has zero effect but he's still 29 years old like the quality doesn't magically disappear I think he can be a relevant player for us this season and actually I probably looked at that preseason performance and he probably comes away with a similar conclusion even if he's not going to be a starter but you know, something's, you know, woken Isco up a little bit, and I'm not quite sure what it is. Maybe it is the arrival of Ancelotti in the field, feeling that he either has a new chance or the realization that, you know, there's no market for him, so he's not going anywhere, so he might as well make the best of the situation. But, you know, I hope to and believe that we'll see uh, a better version of Isco than we've seen in a while. I obviously just don't think it's going to be like just this spectacular playmaker that, that he was in his prime. Well, in terms of talent, like I don't, it's. I think you could even argue that Hazard and Isco are amongst the two uh, with the most talent at Real Madrid. But it's always been a question of their attitude and their and their work ethic. And for once, it, it looks like Isco's come in, or not for once, but like it looks like this season he's come in ready to battle and ready to try and take his chance. So if that's the Isco we're going to have all season, then on, sign me up. I'm on board for that. But if not, like if he's just going to regress, if things don't go his way, he's going to regress and it's going to be another one of those seasons like last year. And then, then it's not worth keeping him on the books again. But um, Keon, I did want to say we did our lineup earlier last week and I kind of, I think my opinion has changed since seeing, uh Ancelotti's lineup today and I honestly think if everybody was fit which I'm, I'm kind of surprised by given um it felt like maybe there was going to be a little bit more push towards youth but I think if everybody's fit I think the front three would be Bale, Benzema, Hazard and then the midfield would be Modric, Cruz, Casemiro um yeah, I mean, and I don't, I don't know how much to take away from today. I really don't. And 
And I don't know. I still don't know where Isco fits when everyone's healthy. I, you know, he's not getting any minutes on the left wing because we have three players who are better suited to that position than he is, if healthy. I, I thought Rodrigo was really good today. I, you know, we're gonna get to him, but, um, so he doesn't fit there. And Ancelotti, I, I mean, I, correct me if I'm wrong. I don't remember Ancelotti ever playing with a diamond. He has played with four central midfielders before, but in a different kind of. Um, and in a different kind of way, and I don't know how much he's, how we're going to see that this season because of the amount of wingers we have. But I, you know, we may see it. So his role is going to be kind of that left center midfield role, which is Cruz's. Um, but you know, obviously Cruz is out for like the first month or so, and we don't know how much, how long it's going to take for him to get integrated into the team. Um, I also, um, I don't like a lot was said of Odegaard not coming in at halftime. Right? I kind of thought to myself. I played along with it in Slack a little bit with you guys. But he's like, he actually he's not going to make every single sub but at halftime. And he's going to, maybe I'm surprised he still played 80 minutes. Um, maybe it was just like, again, getting him into as much fat match fitness as possible, whatever the reason was. Um, I knew we were going to see Odegaard at some point. I also do think if you're selling Odegaard because of his market value being higher than Isco, then you're starting the season with just Casemiro, Modric, and Isco, and Fede, right? And I, I think that's kind of a little... Ceballos and Blanco. Mm. I imagine Blanco's going to be registered with Castilla, and Ceballos, I'd be surprised if he's going to be around. I, re- I think if we sell Odegaard, Ceballos is staying. Uh, obviously, if, yeah, if, if you sell Odegaard. But we, we, we have to remember, like... The roster still needs to be trimmed. Like it's not, it's not over yet. Um, that's why I'm just not sure what to make of today necessarily. Um, if I had to guess, like, so your question was about the front three mainly. Um, Hazard's not gonna play start opening week. I, I don't think could be wrong. If I had to guess, I think we might see Bale, Benzema, Rodrigo. To start. Oh yeah, I'm not talking opening week. I'm just just generally speaking, yeah, it, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, um, but go ahead. Yeah. Well, just that you know, you and I also spent a lot of time talking about the opening week and what it's, what, what that's going to look like, right? Um, and Mendy's <laughs> Mendy's health is still in the air. Like we, it's almost like we forgot about this guy. But what's happened to him? He's just kind of we have no idea what's going on with his health. We have no timeline on his return. He just kind of had this niggling thing for a long time all summer. And and that means a lot of Marcelo to start. And I, w- I haven't been encouraged at all in the opening preseason games from him. Um, and so that spot really worries me. Yeah, I mean, the Marcelo thing hasn't looked any better no matter how many starts he's given and how many games he's given. Um, but just quickly on the Odegaard point, because I think we all want to probably extrapolate on that. Um, I, I agree that like, I wouldn't read too much into it from a Carlo perspective. Ancelotti, I mean, what I would read into it is I think he rates Isco as a starter over Odegaard right now, or maybe he feels that Odegaard can't play left center mid and Odegaard's only a right center mid, uh, where he has Modric. Yeah. So maybe if it was Cruz that was fit and Modric that was out, maybe he feels like, okay, maybe then I would start Odegaard. But I don't think that it's necessarily um, that Ancelotti wouldn't want Odegaard in the squad because I think he most definitely would. But I think 
I'm thinking about it more from what we know about Martin Odegaard right now and the reports that have come out. And we, I mean, there's no factual evidence of this, but it's come from pretty a number of sources now that it's he's questioning his future. And so if a guy's questioning his future and he doesn't start and when there's opportunity available because Cruz and Fede are both out injured, um, Isco gets the nod over him and then he doesn't come in in the second half when a group of subs come in. Antonio Blanco comes in before him where previously Zidane would just flip, uh, invert the triangle to fit Odegaard when Casemiro was out. And in this instance, Antonio Blanco gets the nod ahead of him. And then... Um, Who did Blanco come in, come in for? Did he come in for Casemiro? Casemiro. Yeah. Yep. And so, and then he doesn't come in until until the 65th minute or so. And I mean, if I were Odegaard, uh, as a player, I'd be pissed. Like I know this is preseason, but this is the last game before before La Liga. You're definitely reading into it. Like as a player, when I was a player, last game before preseason, you know this is the group that coach. I mean, it's serious. This is a coach wants to get the the starters ready and. This is what he's been working with in training. And so, I mean, the reports that have come out mean that, like, Odegaard's probably been able to tell in training that he's not with the starters, even with all these guys, internationals out and stuff. So, I mean, I I would, from an Odegaard perspective, that's why I think he's gone, because I just think he's not going to be, unless he is willing to fight, con- contrary to reports. But if he's not, then I think he's he's gone. I'd be pissed, but yeah. I wouldn't be pissed to the point where I want to go leave and take my anger somewhere else. I'd be pissed and want to fight my place for the squ- for my place in the squad. So if he's gonna be a big baby about it and and want to go somewhere else, then what, like I suppose like okay, you cash in on him if you really wanted to. But I I just think like if he's gonna have that mindset, I don't know if he. To me, there's like two ways you can. You can. I think he's scarred from last year because he. I don't think has he ever really in his life been on the bench, and so when he had been on the bench and like that's a hit to his ego. And whether you like like, you got to think about it like that. And he's never been on the bench in his life, and so he doesn't feel valued. And then all these people, even Isco, were ahead of him at the time, and so I think he's just like I don't want to live that again. I don't want to. I don't know what's in his head. There's a lot of reports about like you know he he wants he's pissed off about it and stuff. Someone needs to just have a talk with him. Like even at the start of last season, he started the first two games of La Liga. Like we, let's not forget that. And he started. I think he started one of them with Isco maybe, but he started the first two games. Um, Isco came in off the bench for for both of them. I think to replace him. And actually change the dynamic of the game. And there were others. There were other games where Odegaard looked better than Isco. I just feel like, you know, he's got to also realize that there's going to be more competition at a bigger club. So would you rather just, if you want to stay at a bigger club, if you want to play at a bigger club at any point in your career, because you think you think you're really good and you are, then you're going to have to accept that like there's going to be a lot of competition. Unless you're happier staying with the Real Sociedad's and Arsenal. And just being a big fish in a small pond, like what's going to happen if like you become really good in Manchester City any one day, and you have like you're competing with like a bunch of players in your position? I just feel like at some point you got to just fight, stay and fight. And I don't, and I, I don't know. Again, we don't really have concrete proof that he's actually acting this way. Um, we just have these kind of jumbled reports and nothing really concrete. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I, I think he. 
I think there's a clear place for him in the team. Um, and I think you do bring a good point up, Matt, about Modric being on the right, Isco on the left, being, and that's the role that Cruz would have started. Maybe maybe Odegaard is the inverted version of that. That's, a, that's an interesting point. Modric is, based on Modric today, who was all over the place in a good way, every ounce of energy was on the field. We have 10 months to go in the season. He can't sustain that. So he's going to need rest. He's going to need him and Fede to, to kind of drop in and fill the void there at, uh, a lot. We're gonna need we're gonna need these bodies in midfield. So again, we'll see. There's a one week left till the season starts. Is actually a long time in a transfer world. So we'll see. Oh, I feel like you got to jump in here. Well, I was gonna say something about extrapolating from it, but I think you guys covered all of it. I, I just think like there's there's never been anything concrete with him, but there's been like enough stuff in the aggregate that has pointed to the idea that Odegaard is just really not super comfortable with the idea of not having a proper place at Real Madrid in the starting 11. Like there was stuff about him wanting to, first of all, extend his loan at Real Sociedad and then stay at Arsenal. And so again, we don't know for certain, but stuff we, we like that is coming out from the media. And I mean, in the aggregate, right? Not just any one report is that Odegaard at the moment like doesn't seem to have this intense desire to play at a big club, right? Maybe what motivated him as a teenager to come to Rounder in the first place, because it seemed like he, he would have, it, it, given if he had like 100% of the choice, right, he would have maybe been happier staying at Real Sociedad. You know, he's fine playing at Arsenal, who are, quite frankly, a mid-table club at the moment, right? Because he gets a bunch of time, he's an important player, and... I don't know, like I've been a huge advocate for one needing to, you know, build like a side that can accommodate Odegaard because I believe he can help us so much that maybe even being more aggressive, like Modric is 35 right now, he's going to be 36 in about a month, right? Like, and he, again, we went through the whole, he has no preseason thing, you know, he, the whole, the same thing with him being burned out is going to happen, like, and, you know, maybe you need to be more aggressive and just kind of force a change, especially given the transition period we are, we're in. But at the same time, I don't know when is ever going to be a better situation in any big club scenario for Odegaard to be able to make his case, right? You got a 35-year-old midfielder. You've got, again, another, another like, barely any preseason type situation where there's definitely going to be a ton of injuries, like, I hate to break it to Real Madrid fans who haven't realized this already, but it might not be as disastrous as last season, but we're going to go through the same type of like COVID ball type thing again because the players did not get any rest. Like there's there's no reason anything's going to change. So like when I think about the ideal realistic situation for Odegaard to make his case at Real Madrid, I think of something like this where players are old, you know, there's bound to be injuries, there's bound to be available minutes and ultimate, and again, like, we're not saying this is 100% the case, but if it is true that he's just not cool with that, then, I mean, then cash in on him, right? Because there's just, that that's the reality at Real Madrid. Like, you, you've got, this is the situation where you've got to look at this and be like, this is my chance, man. And, you know, even if I can't stake my claim in the first couple of weeks, my chance will come and I'll show it then. And, and I'll back myself because I'm that good of a player. Like, you know, Di Maria said, you know, after we signed Gareth Bale, I'm not going anywhere, right? Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to I'm gonna make it happen. Kedira got injured. He became one of the most important players of the season to the point where Di Maria felt like he could, you know, ask for a bigger contract, blah, blah, blah. But, like, 
I mean, that's the only way it happens at Real Madrid. Like, the only players who don't do that are, are Cristiano Ronaldo and Gareth Bale, who come as already world-class players, and Odegaard isn't there yet. So, again, a lot of guests were happening here, but that's kind of, like, where I am with it right now, where if, like, this is the case, then it does kind of feel like a situation where it's out of the club's hands, bar just completely going and just forcing the generational shift, which I just, I've seen enough. Real Madrid is, is not going to do that, right? Like, there's just too much on the line every single season. We have a generally conservative mindset. And, you know, we, like with Marcelo, like, I mean, he's going to get the minutes, right? We have Gutierrez right there, but Marcelo's probably going to be a starter, right? That's just, I mean, that's maybe the one criticism you can point to them at the moment, but I just kind of feel like with what I know, it's in Odegaard's hands. Um, yeah, I mean, it is... It, when you and I were having a discussion about this on Thursday, right, with uh, with regards to Messi and the and the grapple that clubs have with a player wanting to leave, um, and we're talking about last season, not this season with Messi, but uh, a player wanting to leave while he's under contract, but the club obviously having the power to force him to stay, and they have to weigh that with you know, do we do we force him to stay and kind of hold him against his will do we kidnap him do we host, keep him hostage and stuff um or do we or do we sell him and, and that's better for the morale of everyone and we get some money and stuff and it's a and, a, and it's a case-to-case basis and you and i talked about that um and this one is uh is one that i think if you just ride it out there's going to be plenty of opportunities for Odegaard to 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 show himself um we have barely talked about the game itself, and I don't. I, but I, I would rec- I would like to have some time allocated to to talking about the wings and stuff because when we're talking about, I always like the fact that Isco and Odegaard are inverted versions of each other in some ways, with slightly different playing styles, obviously. But Isco has played in the left wing before as a hybrid left winger, but also a left center midfielder. Odegaard could play as a right winger. Uh, or as a right center midfielder, and part of the reason they probably won't get much playing times on the wings is because of the amount of wingers we have. Um, Bale and Rodrigo today on the wings, I thought they were good. W- interesting that we saw transition opportunities today. You know, we talked about like how fast paced this game was in the first half, especially Milan playing a high line. I'm not sure how much we'll see that this season, but it was you know even if it was just for a limited sample size, it was nice to see B- Bale be able to run in transition, be an outlet, um, had some nice touches on that right-hand side. Um, but let's talk about Rodrigo. I thought he played with a certain bounce. He had some really gorgeous first touches, controlling tough balls, uh, cross-field switches that he had to take down with his chest or keep in play. Um, I thought he had a good link-up and synergy with Marcelo, but it was mostly because of him and not necessarily Marcelo. And he kept that going in the second half where Vinicius came on and Rodrigo would often come over to the left and give him an outlet and make runs into the left half space, which is an interesting wrinkle because you saw that a lot. There was like a bit of a gravitational pull where Bale and Modric would often come to the left side too to make that half space run. So it was a very fluid offense, which I which I enjoyed. Uh, unfortunately, no goal came out of it and, and it became really boring in the second half. But um, I, liked, I liked Rodrigo's confidence today. Um, there was even one that I, I took note of in particular where Marcelo passes the ball to Rodrigo in transition on the left wing and Rodrigo is running at his defender. And Salamakers, um, 
is coming up to double up on the wings. And rather than slowing it down and letting Salamakers catch up, he just drops his shoulder and goes past his man. And there were moments of recognition like that and, and really nice turns that I thought he played with a certain confidence. And that kind of unfortunate discussion that we always have with him is that we'll just... we. It's nice that Ancelotti put him on the left, and maybe because Bale and Asensio might be the more right right wing players this season, um, Rodrigo is in this weird situation where Vinicius and Hazard are also on the left. But that's that's his best position, right, Matt? Yeah, and I liked how much, to your point, I liked how much he went out went at Calabria mm. and just like kept on driving one v one and kept on. Even even when he failed, he he would try it again the next play. My only complaint from his performance was that one sequence uh, when the team was on a counterattack, the ball gets switched from the right to him on the left. This was like in the 23rd minute. And he takes a really poor first touch, and the ball goes out of bounds. But if he would have brought it down or even did it like a well-timed first-time pass, he had... Jovic, Bale, and I think it was Isco all like wide open, ready for a 1v1 with um, the AC Milan goalkeeper Magnan or however you say his name. <clears throat> but that was the only that was the only moment in the game where I was like, oh, Rodrigo, that was it. Because it was a, a really good goal scoring opportunity. We have about 10 minutes or so left. Um, um, did you have anything in the second half that you thought stood out to you. Um, I know you watched second half a little bit more closely. So is there anything that caught your eye? Anything from the subs? Anything from the youth team players? I, I did see you had some Arribas praise on your timeline or on your Twitter, which is something I'm always down for. Anything in the second half that you wanted to discuss? Well, the Arribas thing is just stuff we already kind of know. Like he just shows a level of maturity and class on the ball that I feel like just kind of outstrips every other Castilla grad at the moment. And he's like the one I'm obviously highest on. I'm not quite sure what his path into the uh, uh, regular rotation is in this team. I just like am most confident that out of all the players I see, he's going to become like a good La Liga player. I'd like that, I, th- I feel like is a solid floor for him, which is basically, it means you made it right, as a footballer. Uh, if we're being like you know realistic and actually thinking what it means to make it like so, I mean he's he's a, he's a, he's good like he's a stud, and uh, I every time I watch him whatever cameo like he just oozes class. So I mean nothing is super special about him. The one the other like main points of mine like I had basically two the Jovic thing, and the other thing was like Matt mentioned like this high block. It, it did look like we were you know pressing more in this game, and the second half seemed to to slow down but defensively it seemed like we maybe stepped it up a little bit we're able to congest AC Milan in their half for large periods they still found ways to break through but it wasn't that often especially not in the beginning of the second half and I was a little impressed with that right like you know the Ancelotti pressing thing one of the things like I'm more skeptical of than you know some other things about Ancelotti and uh some of it is definitely the fact that, again, when we go into this like 4 4 2, you know, high press, high block thing, this team has just kind of been drilled into that for season over seasons. It's, you know, within the players, they know how to do it themselves. And so, like, it's just something they're super used to. But it's still kind of nice to see it happen under the same coach. And, like, that that makes me feel like, I guess, like a couple percentage points better because obviously it's still a preseason game, right? But, like, that was, these are the kind of things, like, I want to see going in 
to the season, right? Like when we want to go out in high press, there aren't just these massive breakdowns, right? Like it's it's decently structured, right? Players know what they're doing, and it 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 largely holds. And you know that'll be important for us at points in the season. It remains to be seen how it'll look, you know, against more di- dynamic, fitter, more prepared opponents. But I mean, these are the kind of tidbits I like to see, and, and some of like the little notes I'll take away from preseason. Matt, second half things. Anything else that caught your eye? Yeah. Um, I, well, I just want to mention the other flank with Bale. I know we talked about him a little bit, but I thought it was a fun battle between him and Teo. And uh, Bale had that one bad tackle on Teo from behind. But mm. other than that, like those two were going at it. Um, both showed showed off their speed. And like I was happy that Bale, because I felt like in his final years at Madrid, he just he didn't take anyone on 1v1. He kind of just passed it lateral or backwards and just was a passenger. In this game, that wasn't the case. I mean, he was looking to take Teo on 1v1. Um, he was pretty active. He took a number of long-distance shots. So, I mean, from that perspective, it was more encouraging. Um, and then and then in the second half, um, just have a couple notes on Miguel Gutierrez. Um, I, I liked his opening minutes where I felt like him and Vinicius Jr. Were, were pretty active on that wing. They brought some good energy, and he faked out a couple AC Milan players before releasing Vinicius. But there's one moment where he, and he did this last game too, so that's why I'm a little bit concerned about it, is he, he dribbles into trouble sometimes. Like, he dribbles centrally, and then he ends up giving the ball away because he's, he's just dribbling too long. He doesn't know where he's going. And it actually, that was the play that resulted in Brahim's like unbelievable shot that nearly curls into the top corner that Lunin, once again, Andre Lunin coming up big, um, made an incredible save there. But that came from Miguel Gutierrez kind of dribbling into no man's land in the middle of the field and losing the ball. So from that perspective, I, I worry like that's something he's going to have to kick as he, as he moves up in, in a bigger role into this team. But, um, Lastly, on Miguel, it was kind of cool to see him play center mid for a little bit at the end there. He had one, there's only really one moment he had where he um, took a really nice t- like first touch, turned out of pressure, no problem. Like, looks so comfortable in the midfield, and then released a pass out wide. And so, uh, cool to see him be so nonchalant and just very comfortable in that position. He... This looked a little bit like his first touch was a little bit heavy and clumsy. Um, and one of them, he had another moment too, that which leads to the Brahim shot, where that was a great sequence for for a couple of players. Brahim, yeah, and that Lina. was the one I was mentioning. Yeah, yeah. so that one actually leads leads to Brahim shooting b- beautiful shot, and Lunin comes up big. Lunin, this is the second strong. Uh, good, good Lunin cameo. By the way, I was thinking about this the, the goalkeeper slot too. And, you know, I'm, we're not going to bring the Lunin discussion up again because we spent two other podcasts talking about how he should probably go out on loan. But there's an, that's another thing which has is registered three goalkeepers. And currently only two of them are registered, and that's Courtois and Lunin, obviously. So um, maybe Tony Fuitas from Castilla comes up. That's three. That's another position that will occupy a, a squad, a roster spot. Um I'm really, really curious how to see how this roster gets trimmed down. I, I'm really, really curious. And again, I, I, if I had to guess, guys, I we're gonna have at least one, one maybe two emergency podcasts in the next week or so before the season starts, where it's like it's just a player leaves, um, and hopefully a player gets signed as well. But we'll see how that goes. Um, what about 
Can what we a, uh, mm. can we mention Brahim? Because I thought yeah. in the first half, especially, I thought he was really, really good. Um, just some nice turns, some really good touches, and we all know from watching him last year at AC Milan and seeing the stats, like he's a very good presser of the ball, and he showed that today as well. Um, and had he was the one that actually on that East Coast shot in the first half that hit the side netting. It was actually Brahim that came back and made the toe poke and tracked back. And so um, I thought he kind of quiet. He was quiet in the second half, like didn't really have anything going on in the second half. The whole AC Milan team kind of died down. Same with Real Madrid. But first half, I thought he was he was really impressive. And I think it's going to be a big year for him. Like he's he's going to be one of the main men at AC Milan. And that team, uh, we had a lot of fun watching them last year. They're, Pioli's done a great job. They're a well-oiled machine. And I was actually, from that perspective, like I was happy. Obviously, they were missing uh, Benesur and Kessie, who were like mainstays in their midfield. But from that perspective, I was happy with our performance because this AC Milan team is is very good, and they're like a team that have been together now for a year or two and have kind of figured out the kinks. And similar to Steven Gerrard's Rangers, like they know their system and are a well-oiled machine. And so from that perspective, I was happy with, with our performance. Like we didn't get destroyed or anything like that. Um, I also want to mention Militao, who, you know, there's not much to, to, to note from that second half, but there was one moment where he got burnt a little bit too easily in the box by Teo. Um, we barely mentioned Alaba, but... He was really good. Like he even snuck in a long distance shot out of nowhere in, uh, early in the, in the thirty second minute. Uh, oh, Mariano was another one. There's no way. I thought Mariano was terrible. There's no way he's in the squad by the start of the season, right? He what he wants to buy him though. That's the thing. Like we have a lot of these players, but and a lot of clubs in Europe have this problem. There's no market for any of these players. So in this COVID con- or impacted market, like that's why it w- another reason why I'm worried about Odegaard because he's one of the few players that does have a market. And so like if you have to trim the squad and you can't get rid of other people, he's the only one with an offer, then you might have to cut your losses. The problem is there's no way, like Om, can you really see a scenario where you got Benzema, Mariano, and Jovic, all three of those guys in the squad next season? I, I mean, I, I don't know. Like, I, I, I could see a scenario. Like, I would say that if we're still not able to dump one of them, like, there's something wrong. Like, I mean, we should be able to figure it out, but. I mean, Jovic would be the most likely to go. Like, I still don't see, like, that many people are interested in Mariano, a striker who just, like, hasn't played for a couple of seasons. And his ceiling is very low. I mean, you know what you're going to get with him, but it's he's not this, like, massive game-changing player. Like, Jovic, we might, right? And, you know, depending on Mbappe this season or next, like, it might make someone like him more expendable. But, I, I mean, I, I assume he would be the one because he would be the most attractive while Madrid also considering the most expendable, like I think Benzema is staying obviously for the next couple of seasons. Um, and I, I just, Mariano is just not that attractive of a proposition. I mean, how old is he right now? Is he 29 years old? Like if 28, but here, here's the thing on with Jovic, like one, 
who I mean, there's no real, nobody right now, and AC Milan was the one club, but they brought in Giroud, and so we have still 40 million left to unamortize on his transfer. So we're not going to get a 40 million offer. And even if we do get an offer, let's say we get 20 million, which which club that wants him has 20 million, unless it's a Premier League club. And I haven't seen a well, single Premier League club. Yeah, I mean, it would only be next season. It would only be next season. And next season, if Jovic like, gets his time, you know, puts in a similar performance to what he did preseason and scores goals, right? Like that, I think, would convince some people to come out, you know, no. I mean, we don't know what it's going to look like, but the hope is that the economy will be slightly better, right, for clubs, and they could shell out a tiny bit more. But, I mean, this season, I I don't see how Jovic and Mariano are going anywhere, and next season would be the one, and it would probably only be Jovic if he has a pretty good season. I just, if you have to make cuts somewhere, I it's so redundant to have Mariano in the squad, and that's why I'm just thinking, like, this is not even a future prospect anymore. The dude played at Castilla with Borja Mayoral and Martin Odegaard and was like 10 years older than both of them. And he's just, he's 28 now. He's, he's accomplished nothing. Part of that is not his fault. It's because of, it's our fault for blocking the move to Sevilla. There's, there's like three to four other players out, like after Benzema Jovic, if that's the pecking order, there's like three to four other players who could play a false nine role. There's no reason to have him in the squad. Just lower his price to virtually nothing and just trim, 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 trim. I, I still the think only, be, yeah. the only way I see these guys coming off is if you loan them. And not only do you have to loan them, but your Madrid are going to have to pay part of their salary because teams can't afford their salary. So that's the only way they're 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 coming off the books, I think, because nobody's going to pay a transfer fee for them. That's within the range we're looking for. Even, and then nobody's going to they're going to have to take major pay cuts, and nobody's going to pay their wages. So, do, are they going to accept that? I don't know. Mariano yeah, hasn't I mean, the, in the past. The, the other thing is Mariano's contract only ends in 2023, right? So, like, there's still some ways to go with that. It's it's just a weird situation. Same with the overages. I think yeah, it's I mean, even longer. I don't know why we held on to him when we did, but it's, I mean, I don't know if I say it's costing us a huge amount, but it's just, I mean, it's unnecessary. And Mariano doesn't seem insanely unhappy, right? Like he's taken his cash and he's been good. Like the last window, he's like, nah, I don't want to go anywhere. Right? I'll, I'll wear this the number seven for like half a season. Like, you know, it's all cool. So I, I, I mean... Ultimately, I don't know how it benefits both parties that much, but it probably benefits Mariano a little more, which makes it even harder to move him. I, like with him, and and I don't want him to. I don't think anyone should reduce their salary. I I especially don't think Mariano should reduce his salary because I don't know once in once his next payday before he retires. For like, let's be honest, like get your bag, get whatever set you can while you're still playing, Mariano. Um. But like, if sell him for like under ten million, seven million, or something like that, um, there's gotta be Premier League team clubs, back to league earn, mid mid table Spanish team clubs who would love a striker like him. He's a good player for a team like that. Um, yeah, at that price, I mean. I mean, this assumes like full rationality, you know, in these actors, and that's not always the case. But like seven million for Mariano as a mid-table club, like he could get me double-digit goals in the league, which is like basically invaluable in that position. And 
I mean, I would take that. But again, like, I I don't know exactly what. I mean, they they all all anyone could see is okay. This is a washed up guy at Real Madrid who hasn't played forever. Let's go for someone else, which may not be rational, but like. Let's be honest, most clubs aren't actually like these well-oiled machines who are making like super awesome decisions every day. That's why like there's so many ridiculous things happening all the time. Like Barcelona being an extreme example, but an example nonetheless. Barca, like just to make us all feel better, Barca have like 800 of these players that they just can't offload and nobody wants them. And even if they could sell them, somehow they'd have to be like paying their... Um, Salary like the base, they're they were still paying Luis Luis Suarez a salary last year while he was winning the league with Atletico. Like that's that's where they are. So just to make us feel better about <laughs> also, ourselves. Also, there were uh, plenty of Madrid fans at the start of the window, being like, "Oh my God, Barca have no money, and they're signing all these guys. Like, why can't our board <laughs> exactly. do anything? Exactly. Why can't our board do anything? Exactly. This is why. This is why." They can't register Messi. They can't <laughs> register any of these guys. This is why you want your club to be financially stable. It's so frustrating to see things like that. Matt, Matt's not. Matt's not. Said, I I'm not messing around legit. tonight. <laughs> yeah, people legit were telling me like, so what? Barcelona are gonna get away with it. You know, there's no consequence to this. Like, it's it's what I was talking about on the Messi pod with Kyle. Like, people just couldn't comprehend that, like, running your club like fucking idiots, like, he's going to come back to you. And, like, people gen- – I'm sure there's people that still want Real Madrid, you know, to do this. But I – Messi's gone, guys. This isn't some 5D chess ploy to put pressure on La Liga and Tebas. Like, there's they screwed themselves. And, you know, Memphis p- played in a friendly, but they still don't really have the space to register him. And they got a lot of work to do to get Aguero on him. Like, it's not over, right? Like, they're still in, in a bad place. Like, I'm, you know, I have a lot of criticism about Real Madrid flow, et cetera, et cetera. I'm glad that we adhere to, like, basic financial logic. You'd think that would be an uncontroversial opinion, but people were losing their minds, you know, earlier, like, to end the season. Know, just at the, at the idea that you could say that finances have some you know you know some importance in this whole operation of running a successful football club um yeah, i have nothing to add obviously i'm in agreement um do you got to run matt i mean we don't have much to add to, to break down here anyway do we i think we're we're, we're basically done right yeah we're done yeah. um all right so <laughs> Matt and I will be back on Tuesday at patreon.com slash managing Madrid. Currently, as things stand, we have three players out on loan officially. Reynier, Jesus, Borja Mayoral, and Brian Diaz. So we'll see what other dominoes fall. We'll see what other players get added. Still to cover Regulon too. Uh tech oh man, yeah, I guess technically. This will be our last I year. I just enjoy watching Regulon, so <laughs> Alright, well we'll drag him in there because we don't have much else to talk about in the loan tracker. Um might not be as busy as the last two three years but we'll see um we still have other other things will happen more players will get added to this i'm i'm sure of that so um gentlemen it was fun thank you see you tuesday matt and i hope for an emergency mbappe podcast this week uh you know i wouldn't be angry if that happened I'd, this I'd week wow you think it would be that quick if it's gonna happen this season i think it's gonna happen within the next i think week. it happens on like the last day if it happens sure i'll take it i'll take it if that if that's the case <laughs> um all right thanks guys appreciate it talk talk soon and uh see you tuesday yep. see you guys. See you guys. all right big thanks to madanom 
and uh, wanted to also just point you guys in the direction. If you are looking for more messy discussion analysis, and you know, Lord knows this is a Real Madrid podcast, so we don't really need to dive too deep into it. But obviously, a, Real, a lot of Real Madrid fans and La Liga fans and football fans in general were hooked on this messy story. So for that, uh, shift your attention to patreon.com slash managing Madrid, where Om and I did, we did a mailbag, but we also started the mailbag by spending an entire segment on the messy messy news and then the day after over on patreon.com slash Diego and I broke it down even further um, before we wrap it up and send you on your way we wanted to give a shout out to our patrons our $10 plus patrons who get a specific shout out on the podcast so thanks to all the patrons for your support really appreciate it and if you listen to it this far and you're not a patron well you really should be because you like our stuff and what's stopping you is it three dollars a month i don't think so um so a couple bags of chips not even it's like one bag of chips a month just allocated to what it's us less calories more value more smiles more analysis and you get to join a family so shout out to our ten dollar plus patrons as follows bella chow brandon alvarez willie reed way pairing wamik jamal umar mahadi tyler simon tyler dixon tobias arroyo botcher Tahmid Kalam, uh, Sujaiwani, Sumanchu Singh, Shabazz Sharapov, Sergio Arispe, Santos Solorzano, Said Mahat, Saad Omar, Rovi Tahiev, Raul Gutierrez, Raga Potluri, Phoenix, Oscar Barrera, Nico Laxo, Nick Ribeiro, Nick Lauer, Muxi Thengal, Mowgli, MJ Diego, Michael Zinberg, Marin Myrtle, Leon Savernakis, Kunal Tilakar, Kevin Rivera, Karen Scherer, John Fernandez, Jeff Thurston, Jason Fitz, Graham Gerard, Frederick Antakiro, Frederick Sundros, Faisal Hamdan, S.A. Davisito, Eric Rogers, Elo Enriquez, Edward Sossman, Daniel Williams, Christian Toft, Christian Acosta, Charles Williams, Brendan Powers, Brandon Stevens, Austin Fury Erdman, Arnab Mukherjee, Anthony Lombardi, Anirud Singh, Alexi Saniceros, Al Adam Dorsey, Nick DiStefane, and Fabian Murano. Appreciate you guys so much. And hala Marie.